But this morning we have a special guest with us named Corey Russell. Corey has served on the senior leadership team of the International House of Prayer since the year 2000. He travels nationally and internationally preaching on themes of the knowledge of God, intercession, and the forerunner ministry. Corey has written several books, including Glory Within, Ancient Paths, and Prayer. And he has released a recent CD entitled Ask of Me. Corey resides in Kansas City with his wife Dana and their three daughters, Trinity, Maya, and Hadassah. Hadassah, by the way, is the Hebrew name for Esther. And we're so glad that Corey is with us this morning. Put your hands together and welcome Corey. Would you? Good morning. So good to be with you guys. <clears throat> Again, my name is Corey Russell. I come from the International House of Prayer. Not pancakes, but prayer. 17 years of day and night worship and prayer has ascended before the throne in South Kansas City. Amen. We started a prayer meeting September 19th, 99, and it hasn't stopped, not for one second since. And we believe that God wants to fill the whole earth with day and night worship and prayer. And it's going to be one of the catalysts connected to seeing Jesus return to the planet to establish his kingdom on the earth. They do not rest day or night in heaven saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Jesus in the Lord's prayer says, pray that the things on, in heaven would be manifested on the earth. Well, if they don't stop in heaven, we want to see that it doesn't stop on the earth. Amen. Good. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. A little bit about me. I, I, me and my family have been in Kansas City for the last 16 years, but um, I'm a native of northwest Arkansas. And uh, had a radical salvation in 1997, February 18, 97. I was a good kid that grew up in church and did all the right stuff. But I went into drugs and rebellion and all that kind of stuff and went deep into it. And uh, at a moment in my life that if something didn't happen, I was going to be on a, on a fast train to nowhere. And uh, God broke in sovereignly. I had a praying mom. My friend had a praying mom. And it culminated in a college parking lot, February 18, 1997, to where the power of God hit me. And I, in a moment, went past from death to life. I, I remember my friend had gone through a crazy season. We were doing those drugs that keep you up four and five days a week at a time. We were just strung out. And uh, he went through a season to where he just was weird. He lost his mind for a short season. We didn't know what to do with him. We just took him everywhere we went. It culminated on February 1st, 97, to where he had a powerful salvation experience. His mom is a praying Pentecostal woman that anoints everybody with oil, prays in the Holy Ghost, and she just loves Jesus. And she prayed him through, and he came to Jesus, and he got saved, and I got angry. I'd put up with his weirdness for four months, and he's going to get saved and leave me. In my mind, you get saved and you follow Jesus at about 30 when you're able to settle down and have a family. You don't do that at 20. It just messes up everything. <clears throat> and so, and so he, um, he gets saved. I wanted nothing to do with him. On February 18, 97, he takes me to lunch. I was, in, I was in college, and he takes me to lunch. And he begins to share with me that for that four-month season, the spirit realm was opened up to him. He was seeing angels and demons. He was seeing what was controlling people. 
and it freaked him out. And it went on and it culminated on the very last night where the voice of the Lord broke in the middle of the party that we were at. And the Lord says, Satan's raising up an army, but I'm raising up an army too and I'm calling you out tonight. He says, Corey, you need to give your life to Jesus or you're going to go to hell. There you go. There's some good friendship evangelism. You're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. And I looked at Brett in the face. I said, dude, how about you just shut up and take me back to school? I was hard. I wanted nothing to do with him. I had two DWIs. My license was gone. But I was hard. And I said, just shut up and take me back to school. He takes me back to school, pulls into the college parking lot. And right before I get out of the van, someone came in the van. I now know his name is Holy Spirit. The presence of God filled the van. And before I know it, I'm beginning to shake violently like I'm having a seizure. I didn't know what was happening. My mind said, what in the world's happening? But my body's responding. He pulls in the back of the parking lot. He starts praying. He starts taking authority over the devil. And I literally began to choke. And I couldn't breathe. And I'm trying to say Jesus. But all I could get out was G's. G's, G's, G's. And I remember taking a deep breath and screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus, just like that. And as soon as I did, the, the hold broke off of my throat. And it was God came and breathed into my mouth at that moment. He jumped out of the van dancing, giving glory to God, uh, just worshiping. And, and I hear a voice. All I can say for about five minutes is, I've got air. I've got air. I've got air. And after a couple of minutes, I heard a voice as clear as day come to my mind and saying, now get out of the van, get on the pavement and give me your life, your mind. And so February 1897 in a college parking lot, I jump out of the van into the pavement, kids running everywhere, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. And from that day, I experienced the greatest miracle ever, the miracle of the new birth. I experienced powerful deliverance. I'm grateful for 10 steps, but God gave me the one-step program. It's called instantaneous deliverance. I believe in the power of Jesus Christ over every addiction, over every bondage, over every hold of the evil one. I believe that one touch of the finger of God can set you free from years of addiction. And I experienced a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. And within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that or bigger in their explosions. And I ended up leading my little brother to the Lord who went crazy in the high school. And over the next six months, we saw half the high school come to Jesus. And we saw a church like this begin to host a move of God as we had five meetings a week till three in the morning. And I got addicted to the presence of God. And I'm here today because I got a hold of a holy addiction. And it's called the presence of God. I love the presence of God more than anything else in the whole world. I love his presence. I love being with him more than anybody else. He is my favorite person in the whole wide world. Hallelujah. And I connected the dots that what I was experiencing in that move of God was the result of the years and decades of faithful intercession by the women in the, in the church. At the time, it was just praying women. And I said, you know what? I need to get to know these women. And so I'm a 20-year-old freak right out of the world. And my three best friends from my first two years of salvation were two 50-year-old women and one 80-year-old woman. And these are the kind of women that are like devil come out or I'm coming in after you kind of women. They didn't play around. They taught me about prayer. And I got a hold of God and I learned something in that early season. And when I couldn't handle it anymore, I got married in 98, my beautiful wife. And then 
We had our first daughter, and the Lord spoke to us clearly about moving to Kansas City to become a part of the House of Prayer as intercessory missionaries. This was what was in my heart. I need at least eight hours a day in the presence of God. I want to rearrange my life. This is what I want to do. And this was two days after graduating with my teaching degree. It didn't make sense. But God, there's those moments in time where I said, you know what? I've got to at least jump in. If I drown, I can always go back home. But if I don't, I know I'm going to wake up at 45 or 50 with this gnawing pain. And I'm going to feel great regret. And I fear regret more than anything else. So we made the jump. 16 years later, here we are. And my addiction has only grown. I'm a man obsessed in love with Jesus. And I want to see the whole body of Christ connect with the beauty of Jesus Christ. With deep intimacy with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that the church would get prepared for these coming days of great glory and great shaking. And that the church would come forth and give understanding to the whole earth. Amen? Good. Well, Psalm 91, are you there? Good. Well, we're going to jump right in. So honored to be with you. We've had a blast of a weekend. And I look forward just to building relationship with you guys. Let's read Psalm 91 together. Now, before we read Psalm 91, you need to say to yourself, I don't know this psalm like I think I know it. Say, I don't really know exactly how he said it, but something. (laughs) First thing you got to do before we jump into this psalm is get delivered from I already know that one. Because everybody's got it on their walls. Everybody's got for he give his angels charge over you. Everybody's seen it on, on cards and you got it on your bathroom mirror. It's your favorite verse. And I believe it is a very prophetic chapter for the body of Christ in this hour. I spent pretty much all of 2015 with this chapter. These 16 verses obsessed me and possessed me. And I believe it's insight. I want to, I want you to pay specific attention to verses 1, 9, and 14. 1, 9, and 14. Because it's interesting that these are conditional blessings. Conditional blessings. Let's go ahead and read it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. You can read it out loud. It's good for you to hear yourself say verses. Okay? Here we go. He or she (laughs) um, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Everybody take a deep breath. Now let's read verse 9. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. 
He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Everybody take a deep breath. A couple of you didn't. I just saw you. Now God's about to interject and he's about to talk about the man or the woman or the young person that makes God their dwelling place. But he terms it those who set their love on him. God's about to speak on, on behalf and he's going to release seven blessings upon your life. If you make him your dwelling place and set your love upon him. Here we go. God says, be, let's read it. Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, number one, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. And I will show him my salvation. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for his word. That's an absolutely phenomenal chapter. And I want this to become one of your best friends in 2017. Holy Spirit arrested my heart with this about a year ago. And it's not left me. And I feel like it's a very important chapter. Number one, the Holy Spirit began to emphasize on me, Corey. It's time. I have made you my dwelling place. I'm living on the inside of you. I've made you my dwelling place, but I want you to make me yours. I want to go from being a crisis ATM in your life into becoming your perpetual dwelling place. I don't want to be relegated for 45 minutes once a week, but I want to bleed into the other six days, 23 hours and 15 minutes of your week. I want to get into the middle of your work week. I want to get into the middle of your private life, of your public life, of your recreation life. I want to, I want you to make me your dwelling place. What that simply means is God saying to you, I want to become your number one source of entertainment. That's costly. That means Netflix accounts are going down this year. Let's get personal and practical here. Number two. And he would become your number one source of joy, your number one source of comfort, your number one source of peace, your number one source. He says, I want to become your dwelling place. Number two, Holy Spirit has begun to he, he speaks through this psalm of saying God's commitment to the person that says, I want to make you my dwelling place. God says, I will protect, I will provide, I will deliver, and I will give immunity to the person who really wants greater access into my life and who really longs for more of me. Number three, the Holy Spirit told me, he put it on me, Corey, I want you to memorize this psalm. I want you to memorize this psalm and I want you to speak it to me all day long. Because this is how you're going to fight the devil. This is how you're going to declare over God your own life and your own family. I want you to fight with the word of God. Who in here knows how Jesus fought the devil in the wilderness when he was being tempted by Satan? How did Jesus fight the devil? He declared the word of God. Most of us get in the middle of the temptations or the warfare of life. And most of us are like this to the devil. Stop. 
Don't say those things about me. Get away. And we get a soft voice like that. Something happens. Most of us are trying to wield a butter knife in the spirit. You don't need to rub butter on the devil's back. You need to take out the sword of the spirit. And you need to cut off oppression. Cut off accusation. You need to cut off torment. You need to cut off lying, accusing, deceiving spirits. And begin to say, in the name of Jesus, I dwell in the secret place. You will deliver me from the snare of the fowlers. And number four, you can't help but read Psalm 91. We love this psalm as we're emphasizing what God will do for us. But if you take a step back, you're going to see something. It's almost like Psalm 2 is in the midst of a war-torn, pestilence-ridden city. And you're seeing a group of people that are walking in the midst of dead bodies everywhere. I mean, it's not poetic language when he says, A thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. That's carnage everywhere. A generation swept under delusion and under uh, pestilence and plague and snares. And there's a people that are walking through it. That are walking in this place of immunity. It doesn't mean they're not being touched by it or they're not feeling the sting of it. But there's this ability to navigate through all the storms and come out on the other side. And that is the invitation God is giving to us in this hour, in this nation, in this day, is to walk through a carnage-ridden generation and come forth with power and clarity. That is the invitation given to you in this season. There are storms. This is about a generation being able to walk through storms unscathed. You guys from Omaha, I'm from Kansas City, we get tornadoes. And I remember last summer we were outside my family, their tornado coming through. And we get fascinated by tornadoes, the clouds, the storm clouds, how fast they move in, the dark, the light. It's fascinating to watch storm clouds gather. And I remember gathering the kids. I said, let's get outside. It were that family in the neighborhood. You go, what are they doing? Kids running around out there. Don't be judging me. I get the kids out there. We get our lawn chairs out. Don't get entertained with these storm clouds. We're all sitting out there just being fascinated by these storm clouds. Everybody's talking about it, looking at it. And then all of a sudden, the most God-awful sound began to sound into my backdrop of my ear. And it was this. These sirens, these alarms began to break out in my neighborhood. And literally for about the first two to three minutes, it was like an annoying dog. You just kind of didn't even think about. And I was literally in my mind after about four to five minutes saying, when's this going to stop? It's distracting and disrupting my entertainment here. (laughs) And then I got a profound revelation. It was a deep revelation. Oh, my goodness. The storm is getting close. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. And it hit me. I go, oh my goodness, the storm cloud. If these things are going off here, that means the storm, the storm is close. We need to move out of entertainment mode and we need to move into preparation mode. We need to seek shelter. We need to seek protection and move into a different gear. And so it was at that time I said, kids, we got to get inside. And we moved into that kind of place. And I was in Psalm 91 when this was going on. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, Corey, that's the way the most of the body of Christ is. I'm releasing sirens all around them. And they are, they are so locked in on the entertainment of everything that's going on. They're caught in the, 
the fog and the confusion and the haze of this culture like it's like a distant thing. And sirens are going off and nobody is listening and nobody's taking heed and nobody's responding. He goes, I want my people to respond because there are storms breaking in. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 24 in his last public message that there would be sirens released in the generation of his return. We don't know whether it's five, fifty years. We don't know exact times, but the Bible talks to us about discerning the generation. Discerning the generation. Jesus talked about things like deception would reach all-time heights. With people using the name of Jesus, deception would come across the earth. He talked about things that would happen in nature like famines and pestilences. That's pestilence, Psalm 91. Earthquakes. That there would be great warfare. He talked about relational sirens like offense, betrayal, hatred. And then he says, because lawlessness would abound, the love of many would grow cold. For love to grow cold, which means it, it, it's a simple thing. It means at one time it was on fire. For love to grow cold, there was a time it was on fire. And Jesus was made it in clear. He goes, you will see a time where love becomes cold. Not the same responsiveness anymore. An indifference to God. An indifference to His claims. And He says, I want you to take heed to these days. I believe that there's storms breaking in upon this nation. I believe over the last 15 to 20 years, it doesn't take a person with hardly any prophetic spirit to discern there is a shift and there are sirens that are sounding in this nation. That the landscape has changed. And I believe that we need a wake-up call and to be able to discern the sirens and the alarms because nobody in here naturally likes your alarms. It disrupts your flow. We talked about this last night when I was talking out of Joel chapter 2. Does anybody in here like your alarm in the morning? No. Talk to me about the nature of an alarm. It's rude. But you know that you none of us would get up with this kind of voice. Corey, I know you didn't sleep much last night, but you really need to wake up. I know it's cold outside. You got a busy day. Come on, Corey, get up. That wouldn't even interject into your rim cycle. That wouldn't break into your rim cycle. You need some God. Oh, argh, argh, argh. You need something that cracks against the flow of where you're at and disrupts it to get you up. And unless there's that cack, you don't wake up. And most of us say, just preach to me that way and I'll wake up. That's the way we're humans. We don't. God allows alarms and sirens to wake us up. Alarms don't care how good your sleep is. Doesn't care how nice the claustropedic bed is. How nice the downy comforter is. How little sleep you've got. How cold it is outside. It has one agenda. Get your behind out of bed and wake you up. There are storms breaking in. I believe that there's national storms that are breaking in upon our nation. Last night I spoke out of Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, we see kings, leaders, and major players and nations that say we want deliverance from God and we want deliverance from His Word. We want to throw off the bonds and cords of God's Word because we want to define what is truth for us and it's time we get delivered from God. 
We are seeing lawlessness spread across this nation like no other time. And we need a wake up call. Number two, we are in the middle of a sexual storm in this nation. We're seeing what we're calling the pornification of a generation. The pornification of a generation, which simply means the new drug stronger than heroin is the brain things that are happening in a generation. The average first age use of pornography is 11 years old. And when you got a whole generation that is engaging with pornography, because we're in a whole different day. When I was a kid, you know, I'm growing up. I turned 40 in February. And when I was a kid, I'd try to go to 7-Eleven, put my hat down and try to get some bad magazine. Go up to the thing, and the guy behind the thing said, Corey Russell. I'm going to tell your dad. You put that up right now. I'm going to tell your dad what he did, what you're doing. Get your butt home, or I'm going to spank you. I mean, he'd take me to here and spank you. I'm from a little town in Arkansas where the 7 Eleven guy would spank you. <laughs> I mean, and I'm, like, I'm just all sweating. I like, know, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> We're in a different day. This changes everything. This changes everything. We got a generation where we before had to go look for it. It's looking for this generation. We're in a different day. We're seeing a generation that's getting their ideas of sexuality formed. It's birthing so much perversion. Birthing so much immorality. So many misconceptions about What God has called good, how Satan has perverted. And we are seeing the pornification of a generation and we're in the middle of a sexual storm. Number three, we're in the middle of a family storm. Never seen families under assault, marriages under assault. The enemy seeking to redefine marriage. I'm here to tell you marriages between one man and one woman under God. Families are under assault. The scattering of homes. The the yet most connected via web is the most isolated generation. And yet I believe that as the enemy seeks to divide, conquer, divorce, the rage in the home, the rage in family, I believe that God has an ace card He's pulling out and it's called the spirit of Elijah. Malachi 4, he says, this is what I'm going to do in the last days. I'm going to take the hearts of fathers. And I'm going to get them delivered from just seeking the building up of their 401k. And I'm going to turn their hearts to their sons and their daughters. And they are going to begin to invest into the next generation instead of building their own little kingdoms. I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And that will provoke a corresponding response from children to turn their hearts to their fathers. And we're going to see a revival in homes. We're going to see a move of God in homes as the fathers and the mothers say, I want my ceiling to become your floor. And my life is to plow ground for your legacy. I want to see legacy. I shared this earlier, but the days of Noah, I believe is very important. Jesus talked about days of Noah. One of the first preaching prayer CDs I did in 2004 was called days of Noah. And I'm, I'm flying to a place in Montana to do a conference on days of Noah. And I'm talking to the Lord. I'm like, God, nobody but... I go, Noah preached for 120 years. Okay? And nobody but his family got saved. And you know the only reason the, the, the boys got saved 
was because Noah commanded them saying, you boys better get your behinds in this ark. You know that, don't you? That was a joke. Go ahead and laugh. And I was telling the Lord, I go, God, he preached for 120 years, but nobody but his family got saved. And then the Lord spoke it back to me. He says, but his family got saved. He says, so it is in the last days. I'm going to raise up godly men and families. And I'm going to save them in the midst of the greatest floods of ungodliness and lawlessness and wickedness hitting the earth. I'm going to raise up arcs of safety. It's called families in revival. Families on fire. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're fighting for Jesus to be the center of everything. It's not about walking around. Oh, they got it all. No, it's a people that say, I want more. Drives my kids crazy. All the family talks I want to have. I just, it drives them crazy. I tell you, you want to poke the, the devil in the eye, start trying to have a prayer meeting in your home. I've never found such warfare in anything than trying to get everybody on the couch, say, we're going to pray for 30 minutes. We're going to pray for 20 minutes. I never spanked my, in the early days, I ended up spanking my kids. I'd flesh out by the end of it. They wouldn't listen, and I'd get so angry. And Dana said, she, honey, you just lost everything you were trying. I go, I know. <laughs> anyway, try it. <laughs> but I believe God says, you know what, because that's in your heart. And you're seeking to build an altar in your home. It's going to never, it's never going to leave them. And it's going to drive something that we build our families around Jesus. We're going to turn the TV off. Everybody's going to put their phones into a bowl. And we're going to talk. It's hard. Anyway, I'm just kind of spilling on you there. I'm like, how did I get all that? I believe God's he's raising up Noah's. He highlighted two people in the end times, Noah and Lot. And it was about men and their families. And I believe that in an hour to where we need the greatest clarity coming from our pulpits. I love what I'm seeing here and encountering and Pastor Walt and just the, the people here. But I want you to know that in many places that I've gone to in the earth, I'm seeing many pastors that are shying away from the truths of the word of God. Many leaders that in the name of being popular. And not offending anybody. And don't want to say anything offensive. Is shying away. Saying I can be more merciful than Jesus. I can be kinder than Jesus is. We're seeing many that aren't bringing clarity. They'll preach on the love of God. They'll preach on the mercy, grace and kindness of God. Without a corresponding call to holiness. Denying of oneself. Taking up your cross and following the Lamb of God. A life of the narrow path. A life of following Jesus. A life of dying to what you want. In the name of seeing the blessing of come forth in our marriages and in our homes. It's not about what you want. It's not a humanistic gospel where He worships you. We worship Him and we follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We need preachers preaching this. We need preachers declaring what God says about certain subjects. With tenderness and brokenness, but yet with truth and clarity. What's our response to the storms breaking in? What do we do? Do we shrink in fear, hopelessness, despair? No, I believe that the church's greatest days are ahead of us. 
This is an hour God allows these storms as sirens to say, Corey, quit being entertained with the culture and begin to seek shelter. Corey, quit just hanging out. Quit pushing away what I'm saying. And hear and respond. Well, God, how do I respond? Corey, go from seeing me as your crisis ATM. Of only coming to me when you need a check in the mail. Or when you need that breakthrough. Or when you need stuff. God is so kind. He releases the checks in the mail. He releases the breakthroughs. But he goes, I'd really like to spend a lot more time with you. I'd really like more connection with you at a deeper level than you just coming to me when you need stuff. What is the call? It's Psalm 91. Making him your dwelling place. Setting your love upon him. As things get more chaotic out here, we begin to simplify, downsize, and cultivate our interior lives. We begin to quiet our souls, dialing down and cultivating hours, days. I'm telling you, your 20 minutes will turn into hours, which turn into days, which turn into weeks, which turn into months and years and decades of a life, of a hidden place, a secret place with God. That's why he says in Matthew 6, when you go into, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Shut the door, shut the distraction, shut the cares of this life, break all the other things and pray to your father who is in the secret place. And he who is in secret will reward you openly. This is an hour to break covenant with the worthless and build fences around the precious. Electric fences. Psalm 91 says, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, making Him your dwelling place, setting your love upon Him, simplify. In Psalm 27, David says it this way, The Lord's my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies, they stumbled and fell, though an army may encamp against me. My heart will not fear. He goes, in this I will be confident. David, where do you get confidence when 10,000 people are seeking to kill you? Where do you get confidence? He goes, it's because i got history with God. I'm here to tell you a lot of us think that as the days intensify, we will quickly go from Clark Kent into Superman. I'm here to tell you right now that what only you have cultivated in these days will become real in those days. And if you wait for tests and the realities to come, it will expose the bankruptcy of your life. It's the great equalizer. David, where do you get this confidence? I'll tell you where Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord. This one thing I seek that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Does anybody know what the next verse says? For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me. And He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will sing praises to the Lord. You know what He's saying? He says, I want you to go into the first floor of making me your one thing. 
He's not your second thing, your third thing. He's not a slice of your weekly pie of being a good, balanced Christian in the Midwest of America. He don't want to be a slice of your pie. He wants it all. He don't want to be a part of a balanced life. He wants you. That'll bleed into your schedule. It'll bleed into your work week. It'll bleed into your pocketbook. It bleeds into you where he just takes over everything because he's a jealous God. He wants you. He says, if you give yourself to one thing I have desired. I love David saying this. There's one thing I want from God. He goes, I've got a lot of money. I've got power. I've got influence. I've got it all. But there's really the only thing I want. And there's only really only one thing that keeps me up at night. That's where I like to know where my heart's at. What keeps you up at night? Is it the size of your checkbook? Or the size of your present day experience in God? Saying, God, I've got to remove some things. I've got to cultivate more time. I need more of you. Because that's the spirit of God within you. Say, more, 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 more. <laughs> One thing I want from God, this one thing I seek, dwelling in the house, looking at his beauty and asking him questions, inquiring in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. And not only that, I get into the divine elevator and now he sets me high upon a rock and all my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Hallelujah. And I will sing. Singing in the middle of storms, singing in the middle of trouble, singing in the middle of circumstances that come into your life. We have got to get above the clouds of hopelessness and despair and oppression and depression. And we've got to learn how to ascend in that holy elevator and declare the word of God and the song of God over our season. It's okay. Psalm 31 says he will hide me in the secret place of his presence. Hallelujah. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. Slow down, dial down and cultivate. What does that mean? Cultivate. You open up your Bible. You close your eyes. You read a little bit and say, here I am. I'd like to get to know you. You do it with others. There's lots of other things to go into. I want to say to you right now, how do you get into that place? I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ has gone before us. And he has secured our spot in heaven right now. He has raised us up together with him in the heavenly places. He has filled us with his spirit. And you are in that dwelling place right now in Christ Jesus. You are in him right now. You don't have to work to get into that room. You're in that room. What we must do and what role we must take is we must now abide in what he's done. We must appropriate by spending time with him, cultivating our interior life and to appropriate what he has done for us and living in him. Cultivating that place. Are you with me? You're looking at me weird. The Bible talks about abiding in Him. Abiding in Him. Living in Him. Moving in Him. I want you to put your hands on your belly. 
Hallelujah. Everybody say, good morning, Holy Spirit. This is my desire for 2017. I believe that this is the answer for the days that we're living in. Is greater intimacy with Holy Spirit. I was talking to Pastor Walt before the first service. I go, what's your life message? He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I believe that the body of Christ needs greater revelation of who lives on the inside of you. Of greater understanding that God, I'm not talking about second cousin of the Trinity or some little feeling in a meeting. I'm talking about God lives in your spirit. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has placed a power and light district in your spirit. He has filled you with the fullness of love and power and wisdom and nearness. I'm here to tell you no Christian should ever deal with loneliness. I understand it. But at the same time, he says, I have never left you alone. I'm on the inside of you. (laughs) I understand loneliness. I understand those realities. But he has placed his very life on the inside of you. And you need to thank God that you didn't blow up in your sleep last night. You got that? And we were all sitting around here. God lives in me. The uncreated, eternal God, the God who dwelt and spoke the heavens into existence, dwells inside of you. And you didn't blow up in your sleep last night. You're sitting here so refined, so nice. Yeah, he lives in me. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. I feel like it's time to begin to rearrange things. Guys, a lot of you, I didn't see this weekend, so I'm thinking to myself, I've got one shot of introducing myself to you and giving you one word. It's this, crisis, shaking, and glory is coming to this nation. It's here, and it's going to increase. And the one response is dial down, simplify, and begin to prioritize the things that matter. And the greatest thing that we can be about in this hour is cultivating history with God. Cultivating history with God and each other individually and corporately. You are in a church that has three prayer meetings a day and has a Wednesday night prayer meeting. That's unheard of. Guys, you could begin to find yourself, begin to rearrange some things. Some of y'all need to go to bed earlier so you can wake up earlier to find yourself in here at a 6 a.m. prayer meeting. I'm serious. Young people, I believe it's good for everybody 25 and younger, especially if you're not married yet. You need to go to bed by 10. And wake up about 5.30 and come to the prayer meeting. Because most of the stuff you repent for happens after 10. Wouldn't it be awesome to wake up with a clean conscience and not spend the first 45 minutes talking about you? So you can feel better about you? That's what the Lord told me one day. He says, when are we going to stop talking about you? I want to talk about me. Most of us, I'm here to tell you, young people, be looking for the bed. You ain't got 45 minutes to sit there looking at your phone and messing around on a computer screen. That's where the enemy seeks in. Those are those opportune times where your guards are down. Go to bed by 10. Wake up at 5.30 and begin to cultivate a life in God. That's what you're going to give to a future woman is a history in God. Because life will never get easier than it is now. And I believe we're moving into days of great revival and great shaking. 
And I want to see a group of people that come forth out of the Midwest. My brothers and sisters here in Omaha that have large hearts. God's blessing their exterior circumstances. But they're not as preoccupied with how big their bank account is as how big their hearts are. What if you were kept up as, at night with, I want my heart to grow even greater than my bank account. I believe that this is what he wants to call us into in 2017. is making him our dwelling place, our one thing. Amen. Let's stand. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Just open up your hands right now. Is there anybody in this room? You don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You have never given your life to him and you don't know where you would spend eternity if you were to die today. Is there anybody in this room? Raise your hand if that's you. You want to give your life to Jesus today. We had 61 baptized last week. Anybody in here want to get saved, born again? Hallelujah. Anybody? Anybody in here want to declare war? I called it in the last, last, uh, the first service. I called them the leeches in our life that are sapping our strength. They might be people that are going in a different direction that we're going. They might be substances that you need to break covenant with. It might be a bottle you need to break covenant with. It might be prescription pills you need to break covenant with. It might be a certain person, a certain thing, a certain place. You're like, man, don't get so into my business. It's really practical. Holy Spirit, here we are. Here we are right now, and we ask you, as a Glad Tidings family at the beginning of 2017, just open up your hands all over the room. We're going to ask the Lord to come. He is a good God. He loves us. But I'm here to tell you in Revelation, it says that He has eyes like fire. And we want to invite the searching eyes of Jesus into our life. You can fool me. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your kids and everybody around you. But there's one man you cannot fool or manipulate. We just ask you, oh burning God with burning eyes, come and search our hearts. We just say here at the outset of 2017, we want to make you our dwelling place. Yeah. We want you to be our one thing, God. Not our second thing, our third thing. We want you to be our one thing. We want conversation with you to be the first conversation and the last conversation. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Receive the Holy Spirit right now. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's just worship Him. I want you to receive right now. We say it together. We will draw near to you, Jesus. I will draw near to you, Jesus. We press away. We push away shame and guilt and condemnation. We push away fear and anxiety. We push away every encumberment and every snare. We say, God, we're going to draw near to you in 2017. Touch us, Holy Spirit, right now. We feel your invitation. We come. Come a little closer, closer. Please draw near. 
to come this morning. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we want to pray with you. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So we invite the nations, amen, we invite the nations to join us for prayer here at the front. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you're here today and you have not, uh, you've not been born again. You've not been born of the Spirit. You are not a Christ follower, but you want to be. Please come and talk to one of our prayer workers and they will pray with you this morning. We've had a great morning. We do need to dismiss, but if you would like to stay and linger, you're certainly welcome to do that. So we're going to offer that official dismissal at this time. We hope to see you this Wednesday night at our 630 prayer meeting or one of our daily prayer services. Let's make Jesus our abiding place this year. Amen. Let's dwell in this secret place.